I'm Andrea, founder of a boutique handbag brand, Andy, and this is why I switched to Shopify. I tried three other platforms prior to Shopify, and I remember my breaking point was when I would try to make one little change and my entire site would go down. With the drag and drop theme editor, we don't need to hire a developer to do any coding. Each theme is automatically optimized on mobile. It's incredible. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Go to shopify.com slash listen to take your business to the next level today. This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 343. We have got to a point in our world, in our society, where we have allowed anybody to interrupt us at any time using any medium that they choose and to assign whatever priority they want to, and, and we just have to deal with it. And that's not good leadership. Hey there. Thanks for being here. I'm Jeff Brown. This is the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth, where we not only help curate and narrow your reading list, but bring you key insights and valuable ideas from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. This podcast has even sent me on the journey of of writing my own book. More on that in just a moment. Today, we're going to be joined by author Dave McCone. We'll be digging into his book, The Self-Evolved Leader, Elevate Your Focus and Develop Your People in a World That Refuses to Slow Down. I'm going to ask Dave about what self-evolved leadership looks like and why it should replace, in his view, our current leadership models, the role of mindset in the world of the self-evolved leader, the macro and micro disciplines of self-evolved leadership, and lots more. Well, in case you'd like to celebrate along with me, my co-author Jesse Wisniewski and I sent in our manuscript just a couple of days ago to our publisher, Baker Books. So we're very excited. We know the the journey's just getting started. I can't wait for you to read this book. It's going to be coming out in the fall of next year, so we've got uh, some time to wait. Plenty of edits, I'm sure, happening between now and then and, and, and much, much more involved. Things I've never done before I'll be doing for the first time. But I invite you to, at some point this week, to uh, clink your glasses with uh, Jesse's and, and mine. We're excited. Dave McKeown helps individuals, teams, and organizations achieve excellence by doing the ordinary things extraordinarily well. He is the CEO of Outfield Leadership and has a wealth of experience in connecting individual and team performance to improved business results with a particular focus on fast-growing, complex organizations. Now, he's here today to help you and me and our organizations build a culture of real, authentic, but ultimately results-driven leadership. His book, which came out earlier this year, is called The Self-Evolved Leader. Elevate your focus and develop your people in a world that refuses to slow down. Amen to that. Dave, welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast. Well, hey, Jeff, thanks so much for having me on. It's just a pleasure to be with you. Well, yeah, loving the book. I'm, uh, it's about two-thirds of the way through it. Uh, it's one I highly recommend for any leader, especially in the times we find ourselves in. There's even extra added relevance, Dave, mm. for your book. Uh, for context, so I think it's important that we start with some definitions. So, so talk a bit, if you would, about what self-evolved leadership is exactly. What do you mean by that? And why do you think it should maybe replace our, our current leadership models? Well, let me kind of flip the question around, answer your the latter part of mm. it before the, for the, for the former. Um, I think if you look at the study of leadership or, or the body of work that represents what we think good leadership should be or the examples that were given uh, of what good leadership looks like through the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, even into the 90s, there are some old 
definitions or ways of leading that are still around that I think are are just a little less than helpful. And they, they kind of paint this picture of a leader that's either particularly overly visionary, mm. so can just completely transform industries. Think of Steve Jobs or Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk. The reality is only a very small percentage of people are ever going to be that visionary. <laughs> it's just they're just not born with it. And so if we over rely on that model of visionary leadership, we start to really distort what good leadership looks like. There's also a focus on uncertainty, on the leader being absolutely clear on where we're going mm. and being at the front, leading the way and leading the charge. And taken together, those two things really present this picture of, of a, I, I guess, a swashbuckling hero at the front <laughs> that everybody falls in line behind and goes, oh, yeah, I want to follow that person. <laughs> And it's funny, you know, we laugh about it because it's a caricature, but actually it's so pervasive in in our organizations, in our politics, in um, whatever companies that we work for. It's just this model of leadership is kind of still there. Mm. Um, and in the work that I've done over the last 10 years or so with leaders and leadership teams, it's clear that we're starting to realize that that's not as an effective an approach in leading in these complex times. Maybe it was a little bit more effective when things are a little bit simpler, but mm. the world is more complex. Our personal interactions are more complex. The challenges that our organizations are facing, that we as a human species are facing, are much more complex. And actually, it calls for a more self evolved form of leadership, which to me is all about understanding the limitations of those models of leadership and actually choosing to have a lifelong pursuit of great leadership just for the sake of great leadership. There's a whole mm. bunch of characteristics of a self-evolved leader that I'm more than happy to get it into with you, but, but at its core is this desire to grow into the best leader that you can just because that in and of itself is good and, and righteous and, and moral to do, not because it's going to get you anything. Mm. Yeah. And some of those characteristics I definitely want to get into here in just a bit. Got a couple of questions related to that standing by. Um, I've been around the block enough times, Dave, to have had some bad times before the good times and worked for some companies where I wish I had this phrase that I learned from your book around at the time. Uh, and then the phrase is cycle of mediocrity. <laughs> uh, talk a little bit about what, what you call the cycle of mediocrity in your book and, and how that relates to something else that you call heroic leadership, kind of what you were hinting at here just a moment ago. Sure. Ha happy to. And the cycle of mediocrity is a, is a pattern that I find that we often get into where we're not delivering bad work, let's say. Sometimes we're maybe even delivering good work, but we're certainly not delivering the best work mm. that we can do. And, and here's how the cycle works. In our world, which we know moves faster than the latest social media trend and everything needs to get done yesterday, we are just always getting sucked into the urgency of the day-to-day, -day, the firefighting, whatever customers screaming loudest at us, whatever problem is you know, being moved to the top of our email inbox. We're just struggling to stay on top of everything that's moving underneath us. We're, we're getting pulled into to, to the urgency. And what it does whenever it's coupled with the notions of leadership that we just talked about 
is it forces a lot of leaders up and down the organization to to essentially lead through these acts of heroism. Mm. And and the, the thinking's kind of actually obvious. You think, well, stuff's moving so quickly. It's probably just easier if I tell my team what to do uh, or, you know, might even just be easier for me just to go do it um, because we just we, we all just need to win the day. We just need to get to the end of today and, and know that we've knocked more balls back over the tennis net than have, than have come at us. And so we have these subtle ways of leading through acts of heroism. And it doesn't have to be big, bold, sweeping moves. It can literally be as little as somebody comes into your office, either in person or virtually, and says, hey, here's a problem that I have, boss. And instead of actually causing them to think through the issue, and coming up with their own solutions, just telling them to go do whatever it is that you think that they should do. What that does over time, it may seem like it makes sense because it'll help us to move faster and more effectively. Mm. But over time, what you do is you build within your team a sense of learned helplessness, which essentially equates to them getting to the point where they don't even think about how they should approach a problem or a challenge. Mm. If you're always saving the day for them, <laughs> you're just going to be their first call. You're just, right. you know, hey, boss got this problem hey boss what should i do next hey boss what do you want me to do you're probably going to come in and fix this after me anyway and so over time then they get disempowered and you know what happens to you as the leader you get frustrated because you're the bottleneck and Mm. then you start you look around your team and you think this team used to be really well functioning i just don't know what's happened why can't they think for themselves to which my response unfortunately is well you got to take a look in the mirror cuz you're <laughs> at least 50% of this of this issue mm. and then that that then brings us back into an urgent world because you're the bottleneck and now you've got more on your plate and the cycle continues and on and so forth mm. and like i said it's not that we're not delivering good work we're just not operating at the levels that we we can operate at and ultimately it can lead to stress and burnout for you it can lead to disempowerment and low morale for your team, and and eventually our output will will reduce. Dave, how do things like mindset and you know, self awareness and and skills like that play into being a, a self evolved leader, or do they? I think that it's hugely foundational. In as much as if you recognize that you're caught in that cycle. And and you know what? We're not always caught in it all the time. Mm. It, it comes and goes. Some leaders are way more prone to get stuck in that and never get out and, you know, just never make the transition. And some leaders, you know, move in and out just depending on their own stressors and their own triggers. But if we recognize that that's not where we want to play uh, and we actually want to move to a position or another cycle, which I call a cycle of excellence, then the first thing that we have to do is change our mindset. Mm. At the end of the day, leadership, when you look at it, to be glib, it, it's just behaviors and actions because really that's the outward uh I guess that's the outward, what we're putting out into the world is just our behaviors and our actions. Mm. But in in the same way that we would want to change any of our behaviors or or our actions, it always has to start with mindset. So if you want to Mm. uh, lose weight or you want to stop smoking or you want to be nicer to your children, all of those are actions and behaviors, but you can't make a consistent behavior shift over the long run and over the long term unless you make a fundamental shift in your mindset and your understanding of why you are operating in the old way of being and why it's so important for you to operate in the new way of being. And so talk about developing a new leadership mantra as the first step to make this transition 
away from the cycle of mediocrity and heroic leadership towards the cycle of excellence and self-evolved leadership. Mm. In the past, other authors I've, I've chatted with, uh, one topic that comes up, Dave, uh, fairly regularly is this uh, topic of casting a vision. And it seems to be something that so many companies and leaders struggle doing effectively. Uh, how do you recommend going about the process, but especially for someone who maybe doesn't consider themselves to be a, a very visionary person? Mm. And, and I actually think your last point is is probably linked to the first one. Mm. I think if we live in a world where we believed you got to be overly visionary to create a good vision, most of us, <laughs> there's a limiting factor right there. <laughs> right, I'm not right. particularly visionary, so this vision is going <laughs> to be rubbish. Um, and so I think we've got to we've got to overcome that. Mm. And and one of the ways in which I encourage people and leaders to do it. And by the way, a leader at any level of the organization should have with their team a vision, and it doesn't have to be the overarching vision of the organization. Uh, in fact, if it, it, the more specific it can be to the team and the impact that, that your team wants to have, the better. Mm. And, and, and actually, the way to go about it is to not sit in a room on your own and try to think of the most jobsian you know, perspective on, on what your team um, might look like in three to five years. It's actually to invite your team into a co-creating and co-collaborating process with you. So to bring them into a room and to ask them to do a lot of the heavy lifting for you to only share your thoughts and perspectives as you get further down the line. And so simple um, exercises like, uh, depending on the size of your team, breaking them up into smaller groups, having them go away with some flip charts and some pens and asking questions like, why do you do what you do every day for this team? What would you like to achieve if there were no limitations? Where would you like this team to be in three to five years? What impact do you want us to have on our clients, on our organization, on the community that we we serve? Mm. Have them do some of that work to pour their thoughts, their perspective out and bring them back together and then see what common themes there are. Your job really should be then to facilitate that process rather than lead it, facilitate it, to come up with a compelling vision that your team owns, that's 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 theirs. And the reason why this is so much more effective is when somebody comes to you and there's a you know there's a tough decision that needs to be made, that maybe they disagree with it uh, or disagree with the direction that it's heading in. Mm. Number one, you've got a, a co-created vision that you can use as your north star for decision making. But number two, you can look at them and say, "You helped create this. You're just <laughs> as you know you're just as quote unquote responsible for it as as I am. So let's let's figure out how we can move further towards that vision." because it's just as much yours as it is mine. Mm. And so I find that in those teams where there's a vision that's that sh- that's created and shared by the team, the chances of you uh, achieving your goals are much higher. The, there's much more buy-in about the direction you're going in. It's much easier to make decisions that are aligned with that vision because everybody understands it because they were part of the process. Right. You know, so often whenever a company or a team goes through a, you know, a vision statement creation exercise, <laughs> The, the big dogs lock themselves in a room for six weeks, overpay a consultant to come up with some fancy words and then come and projectile vomit on everybody else that's listening. And they're like, well, that I mean, that's great. I really don't feel that bought into it. I'm not quite sure what it actually means and what do you want me to do about it? So co-create, co-collaborate your vision with your team and you'll you'll, you'll have a much greater chance of, of, of getting their buy-in. <laughs> I love those word pictures. <laughs> Uh, I should mention Dave divides the book into uh, into four parts. Uh, part one, preparing for 
self-evolved leadership. Part two, the key elements of self-evolved leadership, one of which we just talked about, vision. Uh, Part three, mastering the self-evolved leadership disciplines. And part four, sustaining self-evolved leadership. Going back to part two for a second, we'll talk about discipline in just a second. But you, in chapter four, I think it is, uh, describe the idea of developing an implementation rhythm or or pulse. What, What is that? What does that look like? Well, it's it's one of the the least sexy part of effective <laughs> leadership, I guess. You know, we talk about vision, and we're like, awesome, that's kind of exciting. I like to cast a vision of where we're going, and we get to have some good discussions with our team. Um, <laughs> what usually happens, what I see with a lot of leaders is they're pretty good at setting some longish term goals, twelve month goals, and they're pretty good at you know ensuring that we keep marching on the day to day. Where they struggle most is the bit in the middle, and I'm sure you and your listeners have have seen this in action but you know a team sets their strategic plan for the year and within a week the leaders come in and said i just had a great thought in the shower this morning here's a new strategic initiative that we should work <laughs> on and and let's forget about that one over there cuz you know after a week it's clear that it's not working mm. and and teams get pulled from from pitch to pitch from ditch to ditch from side to side so often because there's no parameters around how we really set and then implement our strategic goals and, and so what i talk about in in that chapter is building a pulse that helps you just put a little bit of a framework and some guardrails around that. Not so that it chokes your ability to be agile. Funny enough, actually, so that it will help you unleash a degree of agility, mm. it, it, but it gives you the right forum in which to have those discussions. So, you know, we talk about building an annual plan. What are your 12-month goals? And what are the strategic initiatives that you need to run to ensure that you're achieving those goals? And by the way, there should be a clear link, obviously, between your your annual goals and that achievement of your overarching Mm. vision, then what do we want to do on a quarterly basis? So our focus probably comes down a little bit more to the tactical level. What are the projects that we're going to run? What are the, what are the, 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 the shorter term um, initiatives that we're going to um, tactical initiatives that we're going to put in place, having that sort of a forum for discussion that says, what did we achieve in the last 90 days? What worked well? What didn't work so well? What should we start doing? What should we stop doing for the upcoming 90 days is where you can be really really agile because you can run your plays to use a sports analogy for 90 days, come back together, assess what worked, assess what didn't, and then switch your priorities rather than doing it just because you had coffee with somebody and you really liked what they were saying about a brand new market to get into. Then you obviously want to break your quarterly goals down into a set of monthly goals with your team uh, and so on and so forth. And so depending on uh, your current rhythm as a leader, I'm pretty sure that you might you might have some quarterly meetings. You probably have some monthly meetings that might not be that valuable or you might miss some. And and all I recommend is that you book those in, you follow a structure, you use it as a as an opportunity to make decisions about the direction of your team to ensure that you're achieving that 12 month plan. Well, in just a moment, Dave, I want to get into the self-evolved leadership disciplines that you lay out in in part three and have you maybe summarize those for us. But you end part two with this sort of concept of micro disciplines. What's involved there? Yeah, let me break that down a a little bit for you. The reason that I I talk about disciplines is because I'm sort of sick and tired of hearing over and over and over again this battle between whether or not leadership skills are soft skills or not. Oh, right. right. They're not. Let's not have the discussion anymore. Um, So I just said, let's call them disciplines because disciplines are hard. They're difficult. They take practice. Mm. You can assess whether you have them or not. You can you can conduct performance assessments against 
them. You know, that's the whole thing about soft skills is mm. people go, well, it's hard to train those and it's hard to practice them. And, <laughs> you know, I've, I've worked with enough leaders to know that you can practice good leadership in the same way that you can practice how to code, how to cook, how to be nicer to your children. All of these things are practicable things. And so for me, just a, a naming convention, I think, is is useful. Let's call them mm. disciplines. I do talk about five larger disciplines, which I know we'll get into in a, in a minute. But there are these moments that happen between a leader and their team where they're just these small choices in the way that you show up that in and of itself probably has a small to minimal impact, mm. but in the long run can build up over time and can either essentially push you into a category of, of leadership excellence or hold you back into a category of leadership okayness. And so what I see really, really effective leaders do on this micro level is this six things. First of all, they're comfortable to take a pause. They don't have to rush in to fill the silence right away. They're just comfortable to take a beat, to take a moment to think just what it is they're about to say and the impact that it's going to have. Secondly, they're very good at existing in the present. They tend not to multitask. Mm. They deal with one problem at a time. They give their full attention to the one person that's talking to them about the current struggle that they're going through. Mm. They're existing in that present moment, giving their best self in that moment. They're very good at setting context and helping everybody on their team at any given moment understand the reason for whatever it is that we're currently doing. You know, people talk about how meetings are awful and they're such a waste of time. <laughs> I, I actually happen to, I love meetings. I think meetings can be hugely effective. The problem is not with meetings is that we're not very good at running them. Mm. And one of the things that we're not really good at is constantly setting that context why is it that we're having this discussion? What's the impact for our clients? What's the impact mm. for other teams in this organization? What's the impact for the community that we're serving? You set that context for your people and they'll be a, little, a lot more engaged in the discussions that you're having. Final three then, they're very intentional. So they, they, mm. the act and the behaviors that they have are purposeful. They do them from an intentional perspective. Not necessarily that they're always overthinking how they're going to turn up, but they are less reactive. They're much more proactive in how they show up. Mm. They always, almost always listen first, get the perspectives of other people around them. They don't fear that somebody will derail their idea or their perspective. <laughs> they give the room for people to share. And, and then the final one is they push for clarity, just absolute clarity, because I don't know about you, but I've sat in meetings before where I've walked out thinking, I, I have no idea what we just decided, <laughs> who's responsible for what, what I'm supposed to do. Um, you know, and, and leaders are just very good at putting that layer, that extra layer of, of veneer, which takes maybe 30 seconds to three minutes in every interaction to just be absolutely clear on what we just agreed, who's responsible for what, when we're going to get back together again to review that, hmm. uh, what assistance that they, they need. So those are the six micro disciplines that if you can get those right, over time, they will really build up and, and, and paint a picture of you as a really effective leader. Well, I really appreciate your generosity there with, with uh, the, the level of detail you gave there. I think that's incredibly uh, helpful. I'm going to ask you to do it one more time with regard to uh, what I consider to be the heart of the book. And, <laughs> and that's the, the five major disciplines that you alluded to a moment ago. Would you, would you be willing to, to highlight maybe each of those and just, you know, whatever level of detail you feel comfortable with? 
Sure, happy to. And, you know, the, there's a build on these. If you can get those micro disciplines right, you'll notice that these these other ones are a little easier to get right. Mm. The first one is you've got to be able to reclaim your attention. We have got to a point in our world, in our society, where we have allowed anybody to interrupt us at any time using any medium that they choose yeah. and to assign whatever priority they want to. And, and we just have to deal with it. And that's not good leadership. Good leadership is about closing off the contact points that you have uh, in a in an intentional and structured way to allow you to process those inputs in a way that 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 gives your team what they need. Um, so it's not about shutting your your door, walling yourself off. It's about being very clear about how you and your team communicate with each other for what purposes, so that you can reclaim that attention. Because if all you're doing every day is responding to uh, six different pings from ten different places, your context shifts so much. And research is showing that every time that we're pulled away from doing one thing towards another thing, it can take anywhere between 15 and 20 minutes for us to fully return to the level of engagement on that first thing. And if we're doing that 100 times a day, it's no wonder that we're all running around frazzled. Mm. So finding a way to reclaim your attention so that you can focus on those inputs and assign the appropriate priority to them is number one. Second, and then building on that is the is the discipline to facilitate team flow. So quite often as the leader, the interruptions that you get are often as a result of asks for your team and finding a way to facilitate the work amongst your team and then back out to the wider organization without you feeling the need that to either micromanage it or hold on to it all is is just hugely freeing. And when I'm working with leaders, one of the first things that we do when we're working on reclaiming your attention is just to get them to list out everything that has their attention, everything that they currently need to work on or get done. And then I encourage them to cut that down to 20%, not by 20%, to 20%. So cut out 80% of it and find a way to delegate that to the rest of your team. Mm. You do that by truthfully asking yourself for each item on your to-do list. If I was to give this to somebody on my team, even if they needed a little bit of advice, guidance, and support, could they do it? Mm. If the answer is yes, then delegate it because you will you will free up much more time over the long run if you do that. And you will also develop your team uh, as you're giving them more and more stretch targets and assignments to do. Doesn't mean you throw it over the transom at them and say, hey, have fun, you know, go have at it. It takes more time up front, but your return on that time is huge over the over the long run. And if you can get really good at reclaiming your attention and then facilitating that team flow, that does two things. One, it gives you more headspace to think about the long-term, medium and long-term direction of your team and the development of your people, which, by the way, is where you bring, us, bring the most value to your team and your organization. And secondly, it helps your team grow and develop. So just those two on their own yeah. um, are valuable are hugely valuable. Third one then is to support high performance. So obviously your team's working through things and they will have problems, they will have challenges, but rather than jumping in and saving the day when they come to you with an issue or micromanaging and standing over their shoulder, providing an environment where they can come to you in a non-judgmental way and say, hey boss, I'm having this problem or this challenge and you saying things like, okay, well, what do you think is the core of that challenge? What do you think are some possible solutions? What would you like to do? What are you gonna do? 
and then supporting them when they go out the door to go deliver it. And and again, that builds on that. So you've um, reclaimed your attention, you're facilitating team flow, you're now supporting their high performance. The next discipline is to, to be able to have symbiotic conversations. And by that, I mean conversations that are free of any unnecessary emotion, mm. that are focused on helping not only the person in front of you succeed, but also the team succeed, and that help your people understand where they're doing really well and what they need to work on to to improve and get better, rather than avoiding those corrective discussions for fear of repercussions. Mm. Then once we've um, worked a little bit on having those symbiotic conversations, the last discipline is to build shared accountability. And by that, I mean that your team collectively as a peer group is excited to come together on a regular basis and share their successes mm. and to and to share their current obstacles and challenges and that they're excited about getting support from the rest of the team on how they can overcome those challenges rather than what often happens is we overemphasize our successes and we downplay our failures because we're scared or fearful of the repercussions. Those teams that are really functioning at a high level, they see their team as their band of brothers and sisters where you can go and get support and you can get some ideas. You might even get some resources to help you overcome whatever challenge it is. And uh, the final capstone in all of this is over the long term, it doesn't need you to be there because they're holding each other accountable. <laughs> You're not holding each individual person accountable. They as a team have that camaraderie. And, and that's ultimately, I guess, the the icing on the cherry, on the cream, on the <laughs> Yeah, what a difference that makes. Uh, well, thank you for sharing all that, and I appreciate your generosity again with the the level of detail very, very much. I want to, uh, before I get into some questions not directly related to the book, uh, I want to ask you, Dave, if there's anything else from the book you want to make sure that we that we know or walk away with. Um, I think just knowing that th- there's a very specific structure to go from mm. the cycle of mediocrity. So that first thing is that mindset shift that we talked about. There's a new mantra in there that I encourage people to adopt, which is that my focus as a leader is to help my team achieve our shared goals and in doing so to become the best version of themselves mm. because there's no room for acts of heroism there. Once you make that mindset shift, you've, you're determined you're going to make this journey. You've got to set that vision with your team co-create it, co-collaborate with them. That casts the net wide of where you're going. Your implementation pulse then is like you're charting your course. So your vision is your end destination. Mm. Your implementation pulse is you're charting the course. And then the disciplines are how you steer the boat. And they're just mm. as if not more important than than the other pieces. Mm. And, and then you put those three together. You don't have to be an expert at, at all of these, but you get 1% better every day on one or two of these. And over the long run, you'll see your leadership effectiveness greatly accelerate. I'm so glad you, you shared the mantra. I had intended to key in on that and left it out. So thank you for <laughs> for bringing that back. Um, as a successful speaker, I know you, you've historically done a lot of, you know, obviously, in-person speaking. Maybe that's more virtual now. But what might be some of your tips uh, if you're talking to a group of folks who want to get better at this art of public speaking? What tips would you give them for delivering a talk that's impactful and, and memorable? You've got to give yourself as many at-bats as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was funny. I was thinking about about this yesterday for some reason there's a video of me giving my very first kind of professional talk mm-hmm. 
10 years ago or something. And I remember, I, I remember it very vividly and I was awful. I was terrible. <laughs> I kept touching my face. My, my, my cheeks were red. I, my, I was just speaking in, you know, in a, in a tone that wasn't appropriate. And, and, and the funny thing was at the time I thought I was great. <laughs> <laughs> It's only now looking back that I'm like, wow, that was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm sorry for ever had to sit through that. <laughs> and you only get better at that through practice. You've got mm. to have those at bats. And so, you know, I've done, I've spoken to rooms of eight people and I've spoken to rooms of 1400 people and, and each one I use as an opportunity to get better. Funny enough, room size and audience size, there's a different way to engage with them. And so the more you can get exposed to a wide range of audiences, the better. So get yourself as many at-bats as possible. And then secondly, you've got to understand that your audience does not care about you. They care about themselves. Mm. So you're not the hero in this story. They are the hero. Make them the hero and you will you will have mm. a, a an engaged audience listening to you. Yeah, what's in it for them, right? Yeah, for sure. What books are you typically recommending to others? I, I'm, I'm going out on a limb here and, and assuming you read with a fair amount of regularity and there might be a book or two uh, that stands out that's had an impact on you. For sure. A um, couple in this season of my life. One is a book called, I think it's The Reason for Gathering or The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. Mm. And uh, it was written before the pandemic, but a fascinating look of the moments in which we gather people together, whether it's in a corporate setting, whether it's in a personal setting, and how to make those really great experiences by doing things like curating the audience and setting your intentions for you want for what you want to get out of the time together, setting a start and an end time even for your dinner parties to really just encapsulate the moment and creating this experience and I think it was powerful in the pre-pandemic world it's even more powerful now because we're having to learn how to do that in a virtual setting so really enjoyed that um, and second book that I finished recently that I really enjoyed was Elton John's autobiography because I have a fascination with with artists and creatives mm-hmm. um, and their creative process and how they get better because I think there's a lot to learn from somebody that truly masters a craft like that, that we can apply to any area or level of our life. And it it was just a great read. It was a little debaucherous, but it was it was a good read. (laughs) And also just a good reminder, you know, one of the most famous, well-known, successful musicians of all time had some of the darkest moments of his life at his at his at his highest point of success. Mm. And, you know, too often we laud the success of celebrities and say, well, wow, they've got it figured out and and it's just not true life is life is dark for all of us at times and that's okay so long as you've got the resiliency to get through it mm. i would recommend uh, books by a guy named who's also been on the show uh, brian j jones the book of his that we talked about was becoming dr seuss oh wow uh, it's done a biography on him he's also done uh, george lucas and jim henson ha. Uh, as well uh, but uh, brian j jones maybe somebody you want to want to check out I will definitely check them out. Uh, what about uh, the rest of uh, 2020 and, and looking beyond it to the new year? What's ahead for you and your team that uh, you're excited about and, and able to share? A, a couple of things. I mean, I've really gravitated towards virtual delivery, as everybody has. Mm. But for me, it's it's almost an obsession to make it as as good an, an experience as possible. I think it's caused us all to elevate our game, which is which is fantastic. And I yeah. think that we're, we're we're seeing some some great things that go beyond just you know 
know, sharing your screen and your PowerPoint slides. And so we've got a couple of upcoming virtual workshops around the book and setting achieving your strategic growth goals. I'm excited to run them out. We, funny enough, it's incredible to think that January will be one year since the book has launched. Uh, and I think to mark the anniversary, we're going to run a virtual summit. Um, so we'd love mm. for folks to stay in touch with us and, and they can come along uh, to that where we'll we'll really take you through step by step how to implement what's in the book. And other than that, I'm, I'm just excited to put an end to 2020 and move on to 2021. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise, and I I love your website. By the way, I'll be sure to link oh, to that you. as as well. Just the uh, uh, the video you have there of you behind your desk, high speed. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome. Love that. Well, uh, the book again is called "The Self Evolved Leader: Elevate Your Focus and Develop Your People in a World That Refuses." to slow down. Dave, thanks so much for your generosity once again and for uh, being a part of the Read to Lead podcast. Your book is one I'm going to highly recommend, and I so appreciate you being patient with me getting you on the show. It was absolutely my pleasure. Love the discussion, Jeff, and, and, and happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. As always, to dive in further to links and resources discussed during my conversation today with Dave, you can check out the show notes page created just for this episode. That can be found at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 343 for episode 343. If you have questions, comments, suggestions, or feedback for this episode or the podcast in general, I encourage you to write me directly, Jeff, at readtoleadpodcast.com. I promise to get back to you within a day or two. And a reminder that coming up next week, we welcome back a very special guest, one of my favorite authors of all time, Mr. Seth Godin, author of 20 books. In fact, his new book, The Practice Shipping Creative Work, is out now. That's next time right here on the Read to Lead podcast. Well, that'll do it for another episode. Look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.